We come to the end of the Beatitudes found in chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. We'll go ahead and just read all of those verses. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We come to the end of the Beatitudes and we'll be focused on the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, and blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. So it all starts off with the peacemakers. A peacemaker is someone who brings about peace. It's not just someone who studies peace or knows about peace or knows what peace looks like. It's someone who pours out peace. It's someone who spreads and scatters and distributes peace out to other people. Not someone that says peace out, but distributes peace out to others. And the only way we can bring peace to someone else is if we are at peace with God. If we are still at war with God, if our hearts are still divided and we're not solely focused on the Lord, we cannot bring peace to someone else. Four times in the New Testament, God, the God of the Bible, is called the God of peace. One of those times it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, and it tells us, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God himself, the God of peace, he's going to sanctify us and preserve us blameless. In Hebrews 13, verse 20, it reads, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete and every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace that is speaking of here, it's not perhaps your definition of peace or my definition of peace. Maybe your definition of peace is being on your favorite beach and no one else is there and you have your favorite hammock, your favorite umbrella, and your favorite beverage, right? And that's peace to you. For maybe some of the moms of little ones, you know what peace is? A clean and quiet home, right? Nobody in the house. Maybe peace to you is not having those little elbows or knees interrupting your sleep in the middle of the night, right? That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about being at peace with God. Romans 5 verse 10 tells us, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, 
much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's this reconciliation that gives us peace with God. And truly, Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And we should follow his example. And if we follow his example, note these three main characteristics that are in Jesus Christ that we should be hungry for and striving for. First and foremost is humility. You want to be a good peacemaker? We need to have humility. Encourage you to read Philippians chapter 2 when you get home. But Jesus was so willing to be a peacemaker that he humbled himself from the throne room of heaven, from perfection there with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and he stepped down into human form, not as an adult, but as a baby in the womb. Not born in a kingdom or a castle or a hospital, but born in just mediocrity. He was willing to humble himself. The next part of being a peacemaker is a love for the truth. A love for the truth. We are called to be peacemakers, not make appeasement or be appeasement makers. Not just appease people or not cause any rifts or not cause any waves. Jesus loved the truth. He is truth itself. And he was willing to come into this world and be perfect truth and then die and take our place. So humility, love for the truth, and then love for reconciliation. You see, Jesus didn't love the truth so much that he just destroyed us all with it. But he loved the truth. He loved the Father. And then he desired reconciliation. We're blessed when someone reconciles with us. Right? We're blessed when we're brought back into fellowship with someone else. But it's not very fun to bring two parties that are fighting and at war with each other and bring them to the table and say, all right, you guys need to reconcile. I don't know for how many of you that's your hobby. That's what you love doing in life, right? So often when you try to get two people to reconcile and say, hey, you're wrong and you need to apologize and you're wrong and you need to apologize, oftentimes they'll, they'll reconcile and then you'll be the enemy, right? How dare he say I'm wrong? How dare he say I'm wrong? But we need to have that love for reconciliation. Jesus wanted to reconcile so desperately that he offered his own life for each and every one of us. He wanted to glorify the Father and he wanted to reconcile mankind. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, it tells us, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Jesus truly is the Prince of Peace. The angels tell the shepherds when Christ is born in Luke chapter 2 verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul will declare that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. That if we don't have Jesus ruling and reigning in our lives, you cannot have peace. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, 
that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Again, Jesus, he is that ultimate peacemaker. He himself is our peace. And he went out in this world preaching peace. We cannot have peace unless we are joined together with God. And we can't be joined together with God unless we confess our sins and confess our need of Him. As we've been reading through Matthew 5, unless we are poor in spirit, unless we realize how much in poverty we are, how we are spiritually bankrupt, we cannot have peace with God. Notice in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, one of my favorite scriptures Jesus says, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. The only way we can go in peace is if our sins have been forgiven. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Romans chapter 8, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How's your decision-making been today? How's it been this weekend? How's it been this week? Has it been a carnal mindset or has it been a spiritual mindset? A carnal mindset only brings death. But if we have a spiritual mindset, if our mind is on the things that are above, it's going to lead to life and peace. How are you doing this morning, right? Do you have the peace of God this morning? Even though you were exhausted when you woke up, right? Thinking, whose idea is this? Changing the clock twice a year, right? Did you have the peace of God this morning? Is that what rules and reigns in your life? Do you have life and peace? Again, family, it is only once we have been saved and forgiven of our sins. It's only when we've been reconciled to God that we are at peace with God and can truly live in peace. And the only way we can distribute peace, the only way we can hand out peace, the only way we can give out that peace and be a peacemaker is if we own that peace, if we have it ourselves. Following the steps on this ladder of the Beatitudes, we must first be pure in heart. That's in verse 8 of chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The only way we can be a peacemaker is to first be pure in heart. And we talked about it last week. I, I like my coffee the way my heart is. Black, right? Black darkness. My heart is evil. It is wicked. Who can know it? And the only way we can have a pure heart is to confess our sins. 
because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ is the only one that can take our wicked and evil heart and purge it and cleanse it and make it white as snow. One of my kids told their preschool teacher this week, I've never seen snow, so I don't know how pure my heart really is, right? (laughs) Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can take our sin and our wretchedness and make us white as snow. Charles Spurgeon, he says, our peaceableness is never to be compact with sin or in an alliance with that which is evil. We must set our faces like flints against everything which is contrary to God and his holiness. That being in our souls a settled manner, matter, we can go on to peaceableness towards men. Again, if you are not at peace with God, you cannot have peace with fellow mankind. We need to kill all of the sin in our life, all of the darkness in our life, even those things that are good or not sinful, we are to cut them off. Are hands good things? I like my hands. I think they're pretty good, right? Are eyeballs good things? Yeah, I think so. I like my eyes, right? But Jesus says if they cause you to sin, it's better to cut them off and throw them far from you that you make it into heaven. Rather than just holding on to good things and sentencing your soul to hell forever. What are those things that are not allowing you to be at peace with God because you're just holding on to quote-unquote good things? I encourage you, cut those things off. Have no mercy to the things that weigh you down and bring you into sin. Jesus, he calls fellow believers sons of peace. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70 disciples to go out and to share God's word. And he tells them in chapter 10, verse 6, And if a son of peace is there, your peace rests on it. If not, it will return to you. If we are truly sons and daughters of God, we are called to be peacemakers. But it all starts out with being pure in heart, receiving that peace of God. A peacemaker, not only are we at peace with God, but we desire to share the gospel and are actively trying to see other people reconciled to God. Are you being active on this? David Brown, he says, when this reconciliation actually takes place and one has peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, even the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, then the peace receivers become transformed into peace diffusers. God thus is seen reflected in them, and by the family likeness, these peacemakers are recognized as the children of God. Do you have the family likeness of Jesus Christ? Do you step into a room and instead of you being changed, others are being changed for the better, not for the worse? Are we going out there spreading and sharing the gospel of peace? Do people want to be near you because you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Or is everyone wanting nothing to do with you because there's just fear and anxiety and depression? Where are you at? In Romans chapter 10, 15, it tells us, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. 
Are you preaching the gospel of peace? That's not just for pastors or church leaders. That's for all believers. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One of the many things I love about Jesus is he always teaches by example. He never calls us to do anything that he does not do first and foremost. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 18 and 19, it tells us, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, The word of reconciliation. Again, Jesus, he's taken the baton and he's handed it to you and to me. Now, it's our ministry. It's our word. It's our job. John Stott, he says, it is the devil who is a troublemaker. It is God who loves reconciliation. And who now through his children, as formerly through only his begotten son, is bent on making Peace. Again, God, he has hosts of angels up in heaven, but the gospel and the sharing of the gospel of peace, it's our job. It's our role. Are we bent on making peace? Are we taking up the mantle of the ministry of reconciliation and going out trying to reconcile people to Jesus Christ? When was the last time we tried this? When was the last time we attempted this? That instead of allowing fear to rule us and to dictate what we do, we take a step of faith and allow the Spirit to come through and we try to reconcile someone else to Jesus Christ. To those who are still dead in their sins as we once were. To those who are still at war and at enmity with God, are we fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation? It's like that old hair club for men commercial, right? We shouldn't just be the the CEO, but we should be members as well. We shouldn't just be those who accept the peace of God and we hold on to it and we try to just hide in a corner so we cause no waves. No, we should accept the peace of God and then we should be going out into the world trying to reconcile other men and women to God. Another note, a peacemaker is someone who builds others up and pursues Peace and holiness. It's sad that today there are some that want to be liked and be more at peace with unbelievers than they desire to be at peace and in unity and in love with the body of Christ. Let's turn to Romans chapter 14. And Romans 14, verse 14 through 19 Being a peacemaker, it's not just about sharing the gospel and winning unbelievers to Christ. It's also about our actions within the household of God. Romans 14. Verse 14, it tells us, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him. Who considers anything to be unclean? To him it is unclean. 
Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not drinking and eating, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. We are called to build each other up within the body of Christ. We are called to make for peace within the body of Christ. And if your kids are saved, if your spouse is saved, you're called to be a peacemaker within your home, right? Your in-laws, your outlaws, whoever the case may be. We are called to be peacemakers, to edify one another and to pursue the things which make for peace. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 tells us, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. It's a warning to us because we're not just supposed to pursue peace. Oh, let me just be at peace with them even though they're in sin, even though they're in unrighteousness. I'll just be at peace. No, it tells us pursue peace and holiness. Because if we're just at peace with men and we're not at peace with God, then we don't have any peace. We need both the holiness and the peace. And if we're honest, naturally, we are not very good at edifying one another. If we're honest... Especially if you're Hispanic here, what we are naturally good at is being sarcastic with one another, right? That's what we're good with. We're good at harming people, at hurting people, at breaking people down. Someone's prideful in your home, we're really good at sort of, right, knocking that pride over. As Hispanics, we take people's greatest insecurities and that becomes their nicknames, right? That shouldn't be us as believers, We should be edifying one another. We should be building one another up. When was the last time you encouraged another brother or sister? Instead of mocking them, instead of making fun of them, instead of telling them everything they're doing wrong, when was the last time you encouraged them on maybe just one thing that they're doing right? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it tells us, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, Paul's begging us. He's saying, I beg of you, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That means walk in holiness. And then, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When a peacemaker is among the body of Christ... They bring peace, they bring edification, they bring holiness, they bring humility, gentleness, and long-suffering. When, when a peacemaker is present, they bring all of these attributes, all of these blessings into the family of God. Throughout the book of Proverbs, there's sort of this arch nemesis to peace. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll see this word, strife. Strife or contention. Those two words are found all over the book of Proverbs. And I'll just rattle off a few Proverbs for you. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 tells us, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 13.10, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. 
Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Proverbs 26, 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out and where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. Right, the whole rumor weed, the grapevine, I don't know if people use those words anymore, right? That, that shouldn't be amongst believers. If gossip comes to you, it should die right there. It should die with us. Proverbs 29, verse 22, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgressions. None of the men here should be holding on to our heritage or our culture as an excuse for our sin of always being angry. Proverbs 29, 22 tells us, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Hatred, pride, perversity, gossip, and anger are not the attributes of a peacemaker. They are the attributes of a strife maker. And whenever the strife maker is around, there won't be any peace amongst the body. There won't be holiness. There won't be unity in the body. Instead, there will be struggle. There will be disagreement. There will be quarrelings, contentions, and much gossip. And if this is going on in your marriage, be that peacemaker and put a stop to it. First and foremost with yourself and then within your marriage. If this is going on in your family, put a stop to it. If it's going on in your circle of Christian friends, we need to put a stop to it. Because a peacemaker is someone who is willing to go to war. That may not make any sense. What do you mean? Peace? War? I know they're in a book, but those two things don't belong together. Those two things don't belong together. A peacemaker is not a pacifist. A peacemaker is not afraid of contention, is not afraid of battle, and is not afraid of war. They don't look for it, but they're not afraid of it. Gentlemen, if someone's stealing your wife's purse and hitting your wife, what do you do? Do you all of a sudden say, peace, brother? Make love, not war, right? You're going to have a war when you get home with your wife, right? That's what's going to happen. Parents, if a dog is attacking your child, what are you going to do? Ah, poor little animal. That poor fur baby must have had a rough upbringing, right? Is that what you say? Or do you attack that thing? You choke it out, you kick it, you do whatever you can to protect your child. There's a saying in Latin, it's civis pacem parabellum. It says, if you want peace, prepare for war. And oftentimes soldiers use this for battle, but it's the same for our spiritual battles. We should not be out looking for battle or looking for war, but if war and if sin come to our doorstep, we should not use excuses to not address it. We should not be opposed to conflict. We should want peace within our homes. And we need to go out. We need to battle if we want that peace. If we want the peace of God in our life, is there not an inward struggle and battle with our flesh and with our carnal nature? The same is going to happen in our marriages, in our homes, in our circle of friends. At work, everywhere we go, there's a battle. And if we're truly going to be peacemakers, we need to be willing to fight. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Verse 34. 
This is the Prince of Peace. This is the Prince of Peace speaking. This is the peace of God himself speaking. This is peace itself speaking to us. And in Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I love the balance of Scripture, right? The angels literally say peace and goodwill towards men when Christ is born. And yet Christ, he's around and he's saying, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to address the sin in our lives our personal lives first and foremost, and then as that sphere of influence grows to lesser and lesser degrees. But our flesh, this world, and sadly even some Christians will tell you to just be a pacifist. Let it slide. It's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. But most often a peacemaker is receiving blows and attacks from both sides. That's what a peacemaker goes through. Is that not what Christ went through on our behalf? Charles Spurgeon says, He sometimes putteth himself between the two when they are very angry and taketh blows from both sides. For he knows that so Jesus did, who took blows from his Father and from us also, that so by suffering in our stead, peace might be made between God and man. We have to be willing to put ourselves in that middle ground. Right? I don't know if you've been there. You call two friends and say, hey, you're wrong. you got to apologize. You're wrong. you got to apologize. Not all of a sudden, you don't have any friends, right? You lose both of them. But you have to be willing to get in the middle there. For many of the men here, we are prone to want peace, but we become just passive. We just become apathetic. The wife wants to deal with the situation at home. We say, whatever you want, honey. And then we just hide in the couch or we hide in the man cave we hide at work you hide on the boat you hide in your hobby as men we are called to be the peacemaker be stewards of your home your wife tells you there's an issue don't be a baby deal with the issue deal with what's going on don't allow your pride and machismo to destroy your life because it will there's issues in your home be the peacemaker Be willing to fight for your own home and be willing to fight on behalf of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord. Among brethren, we should be looking in our own lives. Lord, do I have any of these things that you hate in my life? Lord, are any of these abominations going on in my life? We need to address that. And now, if it's going on in our homes and our marriages, our kids, our friendships, we need to address it. We need to be those peacemakers to go in there, address the situation so that the peace of God 
can come into the situation. If you're still there in Matthew, you could turn to Matthew 21. And again, the Prince of Peace, the ultimate peacemaker. Look at what Jesus does in Matthew 21, verse 12. Tells us then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Does this seem like a peaceful moment in the temple? Do you think people who were praying sort of got interrupted and stopped? What in the world is going on here, right? Tables getting flipped over, change going everywhere, birds flying everywhere. Do you think that was a peaceful moment in the temple? Jesus was willing to strive, to fight, and then look at what happens in verse 13 and 14. Then he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus deals with the sin. He deals with what's at war with God so that in verse 14... Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. This is what a peacemaker does. We need to address the sin and evil in our lives and in the lives of the people around us so that the blind and the lame can come to Christ, so that we can reconcile them to Jesus. We need to be willing to deal with the difficulties and the hardships of life, not loving anyone or anything more than Jesus Christ so that we can truly be peacemakers. A peacemaker shall be called sons of God because many of the attributes of Jesus Christ are put on display in their lives. His likeness has been reflected off of them and into the world. And I pray, hope that's you, that people know, they see the family likeness, right? got the same nose, you got the same eyes, you have the same smile, you have the same laugh. I hope people are seeing the attributes of Jesus Christ being put on display in your life. Because if we're those peacemakers, we will be the sons and the daughters of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he gives us three simple ways to grow as a peacemaker. So if you want it put real simple, he gives us three simple ways. It's learn, think, and seek. Learn, think, and seek. Number one, learn to hold your tongue. Learn to hold your tongue. One of my favorite verses is, The fool, when he shuts his mouth, seems wise. Right? You want to look a little bit smarter? Just talk less. Wow, he's always watching. He's always paying attention. He's always thinking, right? No, it's just that you're just keeping that thing shut so you don't stick your foot inside of it, right? Learn to hold your tongue. So often we say dumb things just because we think, hey, I got to say something here, right? No, you don't have to say anything here. You don't have to say anything. Proverbs 15 verse 1 tells us, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. James chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For today, I believe it's not only slow to speak and slow to wrath, but slow to text, slow to type, slow to post. That Then you're a son or a daughter of God. So learn to hold your tongue. 
I, I heard uh, Jim Gallagher give this advice to a young couple. He says, when you're right, be quick to be quiet. And when you're wrong, be quick to say sorry, right? When you're wrong, be quick to say sorry. And when you're right, be quick to hold your tongue. Learn, think, and seek. The second thing is think, how will this affect the cause of Jesus Christ? Before you act, before you react, take a step back, pull yourself out of the situation and think, how is this going to affect the cause of Jesus Christ? Someone cuts you off in traffic. How are you going to respond? Are you going to be able to share the gospel with them right afterwards, right? Be able to talk to them about how much Jesus loves them after the hand motions and different things you do. How is it going to affect the cause of Christ? I can tell you this thought, it keeps me being much more of a peacemaker and it keeps me much more merciful, right? Whenever you're in, a, in line, there's something about the line at TJ Maxx and at Ross, right? It's just always chaos, always chaos, right? But someone cuts you off, somebody skips you, someone's holding in line and somebody comes with three carts. How do you react? Because I always think, okay, wh- my reaction, what happens if this person shows up on Sunday, right? That's the guy that exploded at the, at the store that they had to kick out. He's up there talking about the peace of God and being a peacemaker. How will this affect the cause of Jesus Christ? Your action, your reaction, you exploding at Thanksgiving in front of all your in-laws, in front of all of your family, how will it affect the cause of Jesus Christ? And lastly, we've already spoken about this at length, seek to lead others to Jesus Christ and seek to confront sin. Seek to lead others to Jesus Christ and seek to confront sin. Sin, first and foremost, in our lives then in our marriages, then in our kids, our family, our workplace, and then that sphere of influence keeps growing, and it's a lesser and less extent of confronting sin. Learn to hold your tongue. Think, how will this affect the cause of Christ? And seek to lead others to Christ. Seek to confront sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27 says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Again, it's difficult to share the gospel with someone else when you are disqualifying yourself. When you're in sin, and sin is running rampant in your life, you've disqualified yourself for that season. Warren Wiersbe, he says, Christians should bring peace between people and God, and between those who are at odds with each other. We share the gospel of peace. We're to be peacemakers. And this runs so true and so close to home in our marriages. Whether your spouse is a believer or an unbeliever, you are called to be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Don't be that person that's always trying to kick it down the road or go into hiding or be apathetic. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and be that peacemaker. Be that peacemaker with your spouse, with your family, your extended family, your friendships. Be like Jesus Christ. John Trapp, he says, Now therefore, although it be for the most part a thankless office with men to interpose and to seek to take up strife, And to peace those again who are gone aside and asunder. Yet do it for God's sake. And that ye may, as ye shall be after a while, be called and counted, not a meddler, 
Not a busybody, but sons of God. It's, it's a proud moment when someone, if, if you love your parents and someone says, hey, you remind me of your dad. You remind me of your mom. What a proud moment for us that someone would say, hey, you remind me of God the Father. Hey, you remind me of Jesus Christ. I think if Jesus would be walking around today, he'd be acting somewhat like you. Again, what a proud moment for us. One last verse on peace. John 16, verse 33, Jesus tells us, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And this goes right into the next beatitude, that just because we are peacemakers does not mean that the world's going to be at peace with us. In verse 10 it tells us, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In these Beatitudes, the first Beatitudes was our action and our reaction towards our own sin in view of God. Then it was our own reaction and action as people address us and the difficulties we go through. Having to be merciful, having to be meek, it's dealing with how people react to us. Now the last Beatitudes is going to be the reaction of the world if we possess these eight Beatitudes. Because if we're at peace with God, it does not mean that we will have peace with this world. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And John 15, verse 18 through 20, Jesus tells us, the Prince of Peace, peace personified, tells us, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Many believers are falling prey to the 11th commandment. You know what the 11th commandment is? Thou shalt be nice. And oftentimes we are fearful of speaking of the truth of God's word because we just want to be seen as nice people. We want the world to like us. We want to be one with the world. We want them to like us and love us. And see, we're really not that different. If Jesus, who was perfect, if Jesus, who was sinless, if Jesus, who fed 5,000 people and didn't charge them anything, then he feeds 4,000 people and doesn't charge them anything. If Jesus who was healing people, healing their blindness, healing their leprosy, healing and going out and doing all these miracles, if they persecuted him, how much more do you think they're going to persecute us? It's a lie. It's a selfish lie to think we're going to be able to live this Christian life in a way that they're going to love us and like us. Because he was sinless and perfect and yet they hated him. How much more will they hate us? Be prepared for it. It's like Ahab with the prophet Micaiah. 
In 2 Chronicles 18.7, the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of God. He's telling the king, hey, there has to be some guy here that really knows God and knows the voice of God. And King Ahab tells him, I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. That should be said of us. There are people that hate us not because we're mean, not because we're jerks, not because we're sinful, but they hate us because we always hold the truth of God's word. And we speak the truth in love. Persecution is the world's natural reaction to the poor in spirit. It's the world's natural reaction to those who mourn over their sin and the sins of the world. It's the natural reaction to the meek, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to the merciful, to the pure in heart, and to the peacemakers. Persecution is the world's natural reaction. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it tells us that the carnal mind is enmity against God. James chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Our world does not value these beatitudes. It mocks them and it hates them because they are at war with God. And if they are at war with God and we're called the sons and daughters of God, they're going to be at war with us. They're going to hate us. They're not going to like us. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 and 21 tells us, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. These are the days we're living in. Darkness is called light and light is called darkness. Poor in spirit goes against the pride of men's sinful hearts. To tell someone you are spiritually bankrupt, that there's nothing you could do to be saved, there's nothing you could do to get into heaven, tell that to a stranger in the street and see how they react. To those who mourn over sin, it goes over our own self-righteousness and our own spiritual apathy. Imagine you're weeping and someone says, hey, what's wrong? I'm weeping over the sins in your life. How are they going to react to that? Meekness is seen as weakness and poor. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness goes against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The merciful, our world wants vengeance and then some. Eye for an eye, we want an eye for two eyes, a tooth for the whole mouth. To the pure in heart, it's like a dagger to those who are sinful and hypocritical. Have you ever been there? You have a friend, they want to drink a drink, and you say, nah, I don't want any alcohol today. And they say, oh, nobody wants to drink with me? Nobody's going to be there with me? To the pure in heart, it's like a dagger to those who are sinful and hypocritical and want you to partake in their sin. And to the peacemakers, it eats away at the contentions and the quarrelsome. I don't know if you've ever been there where you want to fight with someone and they just say, ah, you're right, I'm wrong, right? Wait a minute, I wanted to fight. What are you talking about? David Brown says, thus does righteousness come to be persecuted, but blessed are they who in spite of this dare to be righteous. I encourage you. Dare to be righteous. Dare to be righteous at work, within your family, even amongst other believers. When was the last time you were persecuted? If these attributes are in our lives, Jesus tells us the only natural byproduct is that you're going to be persecuted. When was the last time you were persecuted? Now the next question is to ask, 
Why are you being persecuted? Because you are only blessed if you're being persecuted for the sake of righteousness or for the name of Jesus Christ. We're only blessed. We're only, oh, how happy, oh, how joyful, oh, how blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake and for the sake of Jesus Christ. We are not blessed when it's for the sake of stupidity. Not blessed for that. We're not blessed when it's for the sake of being rude and you're being persecuted. When you're being lazy and you're persecuted, you're getting what you deserve. That's what the Bible says. If you're being a hypocrite and you're being persecuted, God, he's dealing with you and he's trying to get you back on track. But if it's for righteousness sake, you're blessed. We could turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and hear Peter's writing to the church who's going through intense Intense persecution. First Peter chapter 4. And he even warns them, be careful, pay attention to why you're being hated and persecuted. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. We glorify our Father in heaven when we are persecuted for righteousness sake. And when his glory is revealed, we should be glad. We should be joyful. But then verse 15, it warns us here. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. If you're suffering because you have a ton of hatred in your heart, the wages of sin is death. If you're suffering because you're a thief, you only share the gospel on the clock, right? You never share the gospel when you're on your lunch break or before or after work. You're always sharing the gospel when work needs to be done and you're stealing time from your boss. You're sharing Instagram stories that are biblical to your friends out there. Instead of working, you're a thief. And if you're persecuted for that, again, God's trying to deal with you. If you're an evildoer, if you're in sin and you go through difficulty because of it, the wages of sin is death. I saw this post. It was so great. So many people talk about church hurt. And if you are in sin and the church deals with you biblically, that's not church hurt. That's the church being biblical. If you're suffering because you're an evildoer or you're in sin and you're bringing division in the body, people are just being biblical. And lastly, I know this applies to none of us, as a busy body in other people's matters. Again, if we're honest, we're so prideful, right? There's difficulties happening. There's issues happening in our marriages, our homes, our kids. And yet with everyone else in the church, man, if they'd only listen to my advice, their family would be right on, right? If they would only listen to me, everything would be perfect in their home. We're busy bodies in other people's matters when our own homes are going through turmoil. Don't suffer for these things. If you suffer for these things, it's on you. But verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If you're suffering as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody, you should be ashamed of yourself. 
But repent, confess your sins before God, and allow Jesus to cleanse you and forgive you from all sin and unrighteousness. If he suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if he begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Again, if we suffer persecution for righteousness sake, you should be blessed. You should jump for joy. Not because you're a murderer or you're filled with hatred or you're a thief or an evildoer or a busybody. If you're suffering because of pride, there's no blessing there. Or stupidity, foolishness, because you're a jerk, because you're filled with wrath, or even for foolishness sake. If you're being persecuted because you made a, a foolish decision, just own it and keep going forward. I remember my first mission trip, we went to Michigan, and we were in one of the poorest areas in Michigan. So we went door to door giving out two bags of groceries out. We had bags of groceries, we put in tracks in there, and then there was a phone number for the church, and we'd hand them out to people, we'd pray with them. It was a great time. But someone made the decision that if someone doesn't answer the door, just leave the groceries at their doorstep. The problem is, is it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, so we were there leaving the groceries there at people's doorsteps. So what happened when someone arrived to their house at 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 10 p.m.? They come home... So a bunch of putrefied, right, tomatoes and eggs and chicken that's been sitting in the sun for six, seven hours. So they think, hey, look, the church gave me a bunch of rotten groceries and even put a gospel track on the phone number of the church in the back, right? We were persecuted that day. They were calling, oh, how dare you? They're going off. We don't say, oh, Lord, this is for you. How blessed we are. No. How foolish we were. A bunch of idiots. Why did we do this? Should have left the phone number to the church and then brought it to them later. If you're persecuted for foolishness sake, just own it. Own the loss and then move forward and try to grow with the Lord. Sadly, a lot of believers have done foolish things for the sake of Christ. There's been times where they buy or they rent a blimp and then they have the loudspeaker going on at all hours of the night sharing the gospel. Are you going to want to hear the gospel like that, right? Alvilador in the middle of the night, right? Telling you what's going on. The loudspeaker about is that foolishness sake. There have been believers that off of the blimps, they just pour out tracks from the heavens. And now they're littering all over the city. Is that for the sake of Christ? People that go into restaurants, people are trying to have a business. And then they come and they interrupt and they're throwing tracks at everybody there. It's foolishness. Again, if we're persecuted for foolishness, if we're persecuted for lack of tact, own it and say, Lord, Help me to grow in this. But if you're persecuted, verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That word revile is to abuse you to your face. It's to backbite. Have you ever been mocked or made fun of for the sake of Jesus Christ or for his righteousness? Not your self-righteousness, but for his righteousness. In Luke chapter 6, Dr. Luke here, he writes down the Beatitudes. He tells us in Luke 6, 22, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Have you been excluded because of your righteousness? Has a group of believers, has a group of unbelievers excluded you and stopped inviting you over? Not because you're mean. Not because you're a jerk. Not because you're cheap and you don't bring anything to the meal. But because you bring light to their sin. Because you put a stop to the gossip. Because you put a stop to the crash jokes. Because you put a stop to the men speaking ill and sexually about the women around you. Have they stopped inviting you? Blessed are you. Leap for joy. Men, have other men mocked you? And perhaps even questioned your manhood. Even questioned your sexuality because of your purity and biblical standards. Blessed are you. If you're fearful because someone's going to make fun of your sexuality or question your manhood because you're faithfully serving Christ, you're a weak man. That's what you are. We need to stand for Jesus Christ. That's what true manliness looks like. It's biblical. We need to be willing to be excluded and be willing to be reviled and even having our names cast out as evil. You believe in the Bible, you bigot, right? You believe in that sky daddy up there, you idiot. Have you been mocked for the sake of Christ? And they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Have they lied about you falsely? And this happened to the early church. This is well noted, well documented. David Guzik, he puts here, the early church was accused of cannibalism. The world thought that the early church was a bunch of cannibals. You know why? They partook of the Lord's body. They ate the Lord's body and they drank his blood. So to the world around them, they started spreading lies that they were cannibals. The early Christians, they were accused of immorality because they would have agape meals. They would have love feasts. So they thought they were having orgies in the church when they were really just having potlucks and eating together. They thought that they were revolutionary fanatics because they believed Jesus would return and bring about the apocalyptic end to history. They hated on Christians because they believed they were splitting the families up because they were willing to serve Christ over their families. They accused them of treason because they would not worship the Roman gods or the Roman emperors because they only served the Lord Jesus Christ. They were even accused of being atheists because they had no idols or or, uh, graven images in their homes. And if they lied about them, how much more will they lie about us? But blessed are you. Again, how should we react to this world? We should rejoice and be glad. We should be happy. We should look to two things. We should look at the company around us, and we should look at our great reward in heaven. Over the past few years, I started noticing certain things in the news. If this group of people hates that one person, I think I'm going to side with that one person, right? You would look at the group of people in certain areas, The company around you. If you are being persecuted, you're in good company. You're there with Jeremiah and Isaiah. You're there with John, with Paul, with all the disciples. All the disciples were persecuted. All of them except for John were martyred because of their faith. If you are being persecuted, look at the company around you. You are in good company. And finally, look to the reward in heaven. 
There's a special crown for the martyrs, and there's special crowns for us if we hold on and press into the Lord, even if they revile us, even if they lie about us, even if they say all sorts of crazy things about us, focus on that reward in heaven. Don't have all of your mind, don't have all of your goods, all of your treasures here on earth. Put those treasures up in heaven. Cost you a job, cost you a couple bucks. Hey, that's more rewards in heaven. That's more savings up there in heaven. It costs you a meal. It costs you maybe a little bit of false peace within the family, within the home. Think about what that's going to bring in later on in your life as you're bringing in the peace of God into your life and into your home. So hey, let's pray. Worship team, if you can come up. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Jesus, how you came into this world to reconcile us, Lord. Thank you for your great love, for your great mercy, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being the ultimate peacemaker. And Lord, we just come to you. For anyone here that, Lord, perhaps they're hurting, they're broken. Lord, because of their standards, because of their love for you, it's cost them, Lord, family relationships. It's cost them relationships at work, relationships with their friends. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, Lord. Lord, that they would be blessed, Lord. That they would even be able to leap for joy. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us, Lord, especially for the husbands here and the fathers here, Lord. If we have just been apathetic within our homes, Lord. If we are not being the peacemakers that you've called us to be, Lord, help us to own it. And Lord, help us to come to you, Lord, and ask for forgiveness of our sins, Lord. That we would run where you've called us to run, Lord, to be the leaders in our home, the priests of our home, and the peacemakers within our homes, Lord. Help each of us, Lord, as the days are getting darker and darker and more and more evil, Lord. Help us to stand as lights, Lord. Help us to still be the salt of the world, Lord. So we just love you, Jesus. We thank you so much. Pray that you would continue to work in us, Lord. Bless the rest of our day, the rest of our week, Lord. Help us to hold on to you, Lord, and to grow in the discipline of just reading your word each and every day. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Hey, if you need prayer, there's going to be pastors up front. I got to run. I got to be at a wedding in an hour and a half. That's about 30, 40 minutes away. So I got to head on now. But hey, if you need prayer, there's pastors up front. And we'll close now and worship.